whale sound. Make a whale noise. Whale sound. These are different from James Cameron's whales, <laughs> which talk with English. <laughs> True. Or translated. It's a feeling. What was the last? What's your favorite Brendan Fraser performance of like, you know, the classics? Um, performance or movie? Film. Yeah, just movie. And why is it The Mummy? <laughs> I liked The Mummy. I also, you know, I like grew up watching George of the Jungle oh, yeah. and Encino Man. Mm-hmm. And I watched, um, it's not called Bedazzled. Is it called Bedazzled? Bewitched? It is called Bedazzled. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up watching Bedazzled thinking it was like the funniest thing ever. Yeah. Um, that's the one with Elizabeth Hurley where yeah, she plays is. the devil. She sure did. <laughs> yeah, no, I say performance wise, like, I mean, he kills George of the Jungle or Encino Man. Like, that's he, true, he play, yeah. He's like a caveman coming back to life. Mm-hmm. So funny. He's a really interesting actor, George, or <laughs> George, <laughs> George of the Jungle. <laughs> Brandon, Brandon Fraser is a really interesting actor because he's he's never picked like traditional roles. Well, before that, he had a couple smaller pictures where he did a dramatic performance. Right, right. So he had this this baseball movie called The Scout. And he he plays like sort of like bipolar or like on the spectrum kind of individual who's just like really really good at baseball. He's ambidextrous, so he can hit from both sides, uh, he, like left side of the plate, right side of the plate. Nice. He can pitch. He can like knock a baseball out of the park. So yeah, so he, um, the scout, it, it focuses on the recruiter that tries to recruit him and get him into the major league baseball into MLB, hmm. and um, he has a tough time because he's very very damaged. Yeah, uh, I think he has some sort of traumatic history. Maybe he wasn't on the spectrum, but anyway. Really, he's really good in that too. So I, I grew up with Brandon Fraser. Like I, and and I always wondered, you know, also like what happened to Brandon Fraser. And when someone asked him, like he was asked in an interview recently, like what what happened to you? Like where'd you go? And he just like laughed in his sort of like, you know, giggly Brandon Fraser way, jovially. He's like, I haven't gone anywhere. Like he's like Hollywood. <laughs> didn't know what to do with me so i guess i just faded off for a little bit he's like but i he's like i haven't gone anywhere <laughs> i've been wanting to act well he was also assaulted he was yeah he was uh, groped i think it was him sexually assaulted by uh one of the studio heads or it might have been uh foreign press it was some it, i think it was a yeah it was someone up there and i think he got like soft blacklisted um as well that's been the story running for years oh, is that he, he was like you know, it wasn't just that he he wasn't just getting roles like, uh, it, well, it was in conjunction with a few things. I think he had a really, really shitty divorce or something, too. And mm. there were a lot of things that happened at the same time that kind of derailed his career in his personal life. Yeah, exactly. But then he had like little things later on, even before the whale, like he was in Doom Patrol. He's uh, the yeah. voice of I think he's in the suit, too. Oh, yeah. I Maybe. Think, isn't he? No, I would, I would have thought because. Maybe. Yeah, it has like his body type kind of. <laughs> well, maybe. You don't have to. It's not like. Uh, Mandalorian? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. He's, I don't think he's in there all the time. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I thought he was, but um, yeah. But now he's big back. <laughs> speaking of big <laughs> and speaking of body type, when I saw the trailer for this movie, I was thinking, oh, that's weird. Like, It's like one of those really strangely like unique situations where like an actor comes back I, I, we've seen this before I, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head but i know that i've seen it 
or like that or, or like Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man. It's a mm-hmm. great one. Yeah. Where he comes back from being gone for quite some time to with for personal issues or whatever. But he wasn't even completely gone either. I think that's a similar case for that reason. Like he did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Shane Black's 2005 right. banger. Right. Well, what I'm saying is like there's this perfect role where the, yeah. he plays kind of a narcissist uh, uh, into himself, but like has like a, a very tragic thing happen that changes the course of his life. When I saw the trailer and I saw Brendan Fraser in this overweight getup and knowing that Brendan Fraser doesn't look like he used to, you know, he's, he's more overweight than he used to be. Hair um, thinning, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just doesn't look like that he once was, which is totally fine. But I was like, oh, they're playing into you know, who he is now. And he has the potential to kill it in that performance. And then we come to find out as the movie plays that he kills it in that performance. And everybody is just on the Brendan Fraser bandwagon again. Yeah. Um, I also fell off the bandwagon. So I'm, I'm also hopping back on cause I, I don't, you know, I used to love him. I, I, I watched all those movies. Well, it's not that we hated him. He just disappeared. Yeah, yeah, I just no, yeah. There, he wasn't in. The, but everybody always it, he loved, wasn't in the the zeitgeist, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't even think of it. I mean, it is kind of a bandwagon effect because of how much they're pushing it for promotion for the film. Yeah. But everybody's always enjoyed Brendan Fraser. Yeah. You know, they just forgot about him. Yeah. Like they forgot about Dre. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> can we can we talk about Darren Aronofsky? Oh my God! Yeah. Who's done we the never, creator of this I film? I don't think we've ever talked about Darren Aronofsky before. We've certainly never done his film for a cast. And he is quite a storied filmmaker, storyteller. He's done a handful of movies. The last one he did was Mother, which was, talk about a polarizing movie. Mother, Mother. in the corners. <laughs> but yeah, going back, Darren Aronofsky blew onto the scene with Pi in 98. And then Requiem for a Dream in 2000, which was a big deal. Jennifer Connelly? And Jared Leto. As it's like a, I've actually never seen it myself. I've but watched the first half. Drugs, withdrawal. It's a pretty traumatic experience, even as a viewer. <laughs> he did The Fountain in 2006. I love The Fountain. I also love The Fountain. I saw it for the first time a couple years ago, and I was like, why have I waited so long? <laughs> why uh, have I waited? He also did The Wrestler in 2008. Oh, I've seen that. Similar comeback story, right? Yeah, Mickey Rourke. And now he's gone again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Black Swan in 2010. Insane. And before Mother, he did Noah in 2014. Oh, that's right. Which I enjoy. Uh, it it's, is nuts. It is wild. And you know what? So much of like what he did in that movie, especially with like those big beasts in the foreign land, that kind of thing, is like actually talked about having existed once. Like if you talk to biblical scholars, so yeah. I think he just took that idea and just ran with it. Which is so wild. Doesn't it have a cool, like, Cosmos scene in the beginning? So Mother's the only one I haven't seen. You haven't seen Mother? No. Oh, man. I liked Mother. It's such a claustrophobic... I actually, like, I've sat down to watch it about two or three times, and I just... I I think I'm usually with Allie, and she's like, I don't want to watch that. Don't watch it with her, but you should watch it. Yeah. Even if you don't like it, which I feel like you'll still enjoy it, because it gets... In, it's like a wild third act. Yeah. But... Yeah, Darren Aronofsky is a is a sometimes controversial, very ambitious filmmaker, which it's funny with The Whale because it's kind of a, a step back into this more restrained, very composed, very small-scale, personal, intimate story. Mm-hmm. It's based off a stage play, so that is definitely felt in the movie. It's like a single location. Everything's happening inside of 
Brendan Frazier's apartment. Are we talking about the whale? Yeah, I'm introducing it because it's like, if I would have thought, who made the whale? I never would have thought Darren Aronofsky. Right, yeah, I would agree. And it's really not weird. It ends in a, in a in an interesting way, but it's never like very surrealistic, no. which yeah. Mother was entirely surrealist. Yeah, so was Black Swan. All of his stuff. Well, I mean, The Wrestler wasn't that crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess the wrestler would be like the predecessor to. I, the I would. I actually think like the re, like having Darren Aronofsky make the whale it made a lot of sense. Like he got onto this idea, and he just really loved the idea. And but there are there are some surrealist elements in this film that we. I mean, they're really hard to ignore. But how dark it is in tone totally aronofsky you know because it's like a yeah. it's a very dark troubling film oftentimes very visceral yeah like graphic in a way and i don't think anyone <laughs> but him could have made it like this that's true you know and you know with the benefit of having seen it hindsight it's uh he was the perfect person to yeah. tell it <laughs> exactly so all right so now we're back at it again back at it again with a the new thing that we're doing at the cult podcast which is recommending a song gabe you got a song i do that you're jamming you're you're driving with these days i do yeah well what the, is it <laughs> <laughs> it's a throwback because of uh the drummer jeremiah green from modest mouse passed away oh a month or so ago and so i started listening to their first album and the song drama mean i've been looping recently drama mean drama mean yeah, that's the one. Cool. <laughs> I also just finally listened to Sufjan's Planetarium all the way through what? For, for the first time. First time? A few days ago. I, I saw was, that live. I Holy shit. Yeah. Was, was it like one of those visual spectacles? Uh, or like uh, presentations? Yeah, he, he had a couple, like a couple thing, but it wasn't as visually spectacle. I'd heard piecemeal stuff from it over time yeah. for years, but I listened to it all the way through. I put it in my playlist a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's you did. Yeah. So but here's a song Dramamine. Dramamine.
All right, and we're back. And we're back. Back again. Back again. It was really good. We both really enjoyed it. This movie? Yeah. Oh, I have so much to say about it. Well, start talking. I loved this movie. There you go. Like a lot. Why'd you love it? Okay. Well, first <laughs> of all, I would like to say that like for The Whale, it and this, this movie's definitely going to be in my top 10 for 2022. Nothing could kick this movie out for me. I think I think you have to be in a very specific place emotionally mm-hmm. to watch this film. Yeah. If you come into it thinking, "Oh, it's Brendan Fraser in a fat suit." Wrong. Don't <laughs> don't turn the movie on. If you <laughs> if you um, you know, just had a breakup and or a fight with a loved one and um, you're in deep troubling pain and you're questioning life, that's a great place to watch this movie. <laughs> it requires empathy. Yeah. Like it's the whole point, I think. Well, there's a lot there's a lot more to that that I'll touch on in a second. Yeah. But yeah, so I I I particularly went to the theater alone uh cuz you wouldn't come. Um, I never do. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. I saw it alone too, which I I think I actually preferred yeah. for this. But I I went alone. There was like hardly anyone in the theater. Um it was late at night. And I was like, just, I was feeling very, um, I don't know, existential. Meditative. Meditative. And so I went to see it and it was just like the perfect time for me to watch this movie. Um, and, uh, I just really, really connected with it for so many reasons. I remember talking to you briefly before, uh, asking if you thought it'd be in your top 10 and you said you didn't think it would. I did love it though. Yeah. And I, I, so I was kind of expecting it. Maybe I lowered my expectations a bit because of that. So that's, that's the trick. <laughs> so I went in and I was absolutely blown away. I mean, not only was it fantastic thematically for what it was trying to do with its themes, with its heart, with its empathy, with its its positivity, but it's also like it's grounded in like a very real like this character is deeply he's in a really dark place, but he still sees the the positive in people. And so there is this juxtaposition of irony there where it's like you have a character in a very, very dark spot. He's literally eating himself to death. Full spoilers from this point. <laughs> he's eating himself to death and he's okay with it and he's accepted it because like I, I think he just doesn't want to live anymore, to yeah. be honest. But he still is trying to inspire others and leave a mark on the world. And I've I've just never, I've never seen a character like this before. I've never seen a movie like this before, especially like because it only took place in the apartment and it did play out like a play. Some films like The Father, for instance, that came out like two years ago, like that's adapted from a play. It feels like a play. This did not feel like a play to me. It felt like just like a very, very great, well shot film and you just were you were in this guy's apartment for the whole film and you felt like every feeling that not only he felt but the other there's a couple other characters that we'll talk about in a second felt you feel you feel everything that happens it, because it creates this atmosphere and this tone that you you're just in this space for 2 hours and you're you're it's just incredible i don't i've never i haven't seen anything like this that i think has affected me like this for a long time when I say like this, I just mean like it, it, it almost is overwhelming emotionally for me. Like there's a degree of, of, of weight that, yeah. that I feel. And it's different from 
other times, like with other films that I feel something similarly. Every film that I see, I think of a little bit differently than the next. Mm -hmm. So when I say I haven't felt this before, if there was a, a film before that made me feel like this, I haven't felt this specific way coming out of a movie in a long time uh, at an emotional level. Yeah. And it also stuck with me. I, I literally went to bed that night because I, I saw it late and I went straight to bed. I was just dreaming about Brendan Fraser as the whale the whole night. Jeez. And so I, I was having these like nightmare scenarios of like, you know, him crying and just wanting to, to just make an impact and hit like his daughter and me having daughters. It's just, oh my gosh. I, there's just so much about this movie that connected with me personally, yeah. as well as it's excellent filmmaking and story and dialogue. And then, and then you have the Moby Dick theme intrinsically tied throughout the whole thing. Moby Dick, like being famously, the plot is Captain Ahab wants to kill this whale, but the whale is a metaphor for this thing that you can never really get past in your life. And Brandon Fraser's character is in this place that he cannot get past this, this event that took place in his life. And that event is full spoilers, um, he was married. He had a kid, a young daughter who grew up to be Sadie Singh from stranger things, red haired girl running up that hill. He, uh, he left her when she was eight, uh, cause he fell in love with a guy and he either came out at the time. We don't really know the backstory, but he fell in love with the guy and that guy was also deeply damaged and wounded. And he, uh, was wounded because of the evangelical Christian church which is a whole other element we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah, And he ended up uh, not eating and killing himself. Uh, I think it was implied that he threw himself off of a bridge. Yeah. Um, and that just destroyed Brandon Fraser's character. Um, Charlie is his name. And then he decided to essentially do the opposite. And he, he just never stopped eating. And he, he, he had said he always struggled with that and always struggled with his weight. He just never let it get this out of hand. And anyway, so he's deeply wounded. The person he was in love with was wounded because of his upbringing. And one of the other characters, one of the only other characters he's interacting with in his apartment is his only friend, uh, who was the sister of the person he was in love with, played by Hong Chao. From, we've seen her in a lot of things. She was in the menu recently. She was in Watchmen last year. Or two, fuck, this is last year, 2019. Uh, hello, it's 2023. But um, She's his caretaker, right? She's his caretaker, but she's also uh, essentially like his sister-in-law, even yeah. though they weren't married. But right. his, you know, she's just trying to help him and talk him out of it and get him to go to the hospital because the movie well, starts off with him no, having I'd, a heart attack. Well, that's the point is that she doesn't try to do those things. She's l- complicit. And his killing himself. <laughs> I was about to say that. He, but the whole time that she's saying all these things, like you need to go to the hospital, you need to do this. She's giving him and bringing him the, th- the food and, and the, the things that are killing himself. <laughs> yeah. But but here's the thing. And I was thinking about this while I was watching it. I was like, wow, she's like handing him two meatball subs, like huge ass <laughs> meatball subs. But I think I think it's just because she knows there's nothing that she can do. Because she's actually in the same spot that he is. Mm-hmm. And because she knows that, she's like giving him the thing while also saying, you need to go to the hospital. You need to get off your, you know, get out. Like you need to fucking go and yeah. figure this out. The whole, and she's probably been doing that every day for who who knows how long, years. Yeah. And then, and then Brandon Fraser tries to reconnect with his daughter 
after not seeing her for eight years, she shows back up. She's about 17. She's like failing, but she's, she's really intelligent. She's failing. And then there's this other character who's this missionary kid who is from the same church that killed, uh, Hong, Hong Chao's brother. At least that's how she put it. And he's this, this representation. He's constantly trying to save spiritually save Brendan Fraser's character, Charlie. Um, and there's that whole element too, cause that, you know, that was also the same church or whatever that ended up killing the person he was in love with. Then Sadie Sink starts to interact with that character as well. And, um, at some point she records his story voice and picture and sends it to his family. Cause he was running away from his family cause he stole some money and that was his kind of backstory. And you never really find out if she did that maliciously trying to like get at him because she's kind of like a messed up youth. She's evil. <laughs> yeah. She's kind of messed up and you never really know if her motivations are evil or if she's just looking at the world a little bit differently. Brendan Fraser's character, Charlie thinks that she is trying to help and that she is, you know, she has all this potential. And I think by the end of the film, especially with the very last scene, which I'll talk about in a second, I think she's trying to help that character, the, the missionary kid character. But I also do think she like, she's very troubled and has like a lot of struggles. And I think it shows the complexity of, of people. This whole movie just shows the complexity of humans and their emotions over and over and over again. At one point, the mother shows up. Those are like the only four characters apart from like the pizza guy. The mother shows up and, and she reveals why she hasn't let Brandon Fraser's character see his daughter for eight years. And it's because she was worried that Brendan Fraser would judge her mm-hmm. for being a bad mother because of how like she, she calls her daughter evil because of how like messed up she is. And Brendan Fraser was just like, that's why you've kept her from me. Cause you were worried that I judge you. Like it, it's such a fucked up thing, but it sh- again, it shows the complexity of humans and why people do certain things is not because of like some in your face reason. There's always something so much deeper usually going on behind. And oftentimes it just screws other people over. I don't know. There's this movie. There's so many layers to it, man. I just absolutely, I mean, I connected with it. I adored it for what it was. Brendan Fraser's performance was like outstanding. Uh, anyway, so there's this poem or there's, it's an essay because Brendan Fraser is teaching online courses to college. He's an English teacher and he's always trying to get his, his uh, students to, to, to write something honest. And throughout the film, he rereads this essay over and over again. It's an essay about Moby Dick. And you don't find out until the very end that it was Sadie Sink's essay from when she was in eighth grade. So it was four years previous that her mom had sent to him, you know, it was like the only connection that he had with his daughter, but he also thought it was a very well-written essay. And he kept saying throughout the film, that she has a potential to be like a good writer and cause she is a good writer. So he keeps rereading it and he has people reread it to him over and over. And then at the very end, he gives it to Sadie sink. It's kind of, there's a longer story there, but she reads it to him as he stands up to start walking toward her for the first time, which is something she challenged him to do earlier on in the film because she was like, if you can stand up and walk toward me, I'll stay and I won't leave the house essentially. Uh, there's a whole other story there. You got to see the movie if you want to know what happens. But anyway, so he starts walking, taking essentially his first steps without aid, without a wheelchair or a walker. 
because he's like, again, he's about 500 pounds, no exaggeration. And it shows you a lot of that. He starts walking toward her as she's reading it. And there's this surrealist moment where he essentially is lifted off the ground. You, sh- you see his feet lift off the ground and everything turns white. And that's how the movie ends. And, but that's why I think Sadie Sink in that moment is it, it comes after a very emotional confrontation. It's the final thing is it final interaction with his daughter, with anyone essentially. Cause I think that's a, it's presumed that he dies right, right in that moment where he starts, he's just, is trying to, he's trying to reaffirm and speak these elements of truth over his daughter over and over again. Like, yeah, you're perfect. You're perfect as you are. You're wonderful. Like you have so much potential you, you, I think you're amazing. You know, he's giving her the goodwill hunting. He's yeah, exactly. And she, she being this broken person and, and she's mainly blaming him for her brokenness for, for walking out on them on her when she was eight. She, you know, has a hard time receiving that, but I think there's some, there's a little bit of connection there at the end. And that's why she turns around and starts reading the poem. And that's why he gets up and starts walking and that's how he ends up dying. But that's why I think I, I choose to think, and again, because it did leave it a little ambiguous that she she did try to help the missionary kid. Because I think that she does have this element of goodness to her, even though she's like still kind of fucked up. Like she's got it. She got an edge to her, you know? Yeah. But I yeah. Anyway, I could talk about this movie for a long time. Yeah, for sure. Every character is an incredible case study in this film. Yeah. From the caretaker, even the missionary kid, like you said, has an interesting backstory and subverts what you think is actually happening. All the stuff about religion, obviously, really interesting. Played into the story way more than I thought it would. But I, I love this film, too. The whole thing about depression, about someone who is so inherently good as Charlie, but still so flawed and still trying to kill himself in this way, is such a, a familiar thing for most people, I think. Because like he says, most people, I feel like, are are good. There's so much goodness. And yet, for, for so many reasons, we're all doing these taking part of these these self-destructive behavior. Yeah. And exploring it from the other side, too, like the effects of depression on the people around him. Such an amazing exploration of that dynamic. But, yeah, the one reason why it's not in my top ten is because the scale of it, you know, like aside from Fraser's, like, legendary performance, this is something you could have gotten out of a book or a stage play. And so it it is so impactful and so important, but that's the only reason why I wasn't, like, talking about it in the other cast. Because it was a stage play, right? And uh, even though Darren Aronofsky does some really interesting things making this into a movie, it's ultimately still, you know, I feel like something that you could have gotten just a similar experience out of in a different medium, you know? Yeah, uh, I don't necessarily agree. I think one of the things that this film did most excellently, and it's the reason that I loved it so much, is because it has a tone. Like, it has this feeling. It, It bleeds, like tone which is the thing you know what that's that's true i felt that way about tar yeah 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 yeah. exactly so that that tone is Mm. with this particular film is something that i connected with like on on every level it is so oppressive and and that tone could come off a little bit differently through a play version of it or reading a book version of this because like usually when i read a book it, it also bleeds tone like books can bleed tone as well but the tone is a little bit different usually yeah like I, I connect with the Harry Potter books tones more than the film's tones. And I think the tone is like the whole tone of the Harry Potter films are just slightly different. Same way here. Like I think if it was a book or a play, 
I think I would just connect to it in a different way. But the fact that it was this Darinovsky's directed version of it, yeah. I just, oh my gosh, I, I, I it was, it's like the most thoughtful thing I've seen in so many, so many years. I will say to that point as well, a big part of that was the score, yeah, which was Rob Simonson, yeah, insane. I it, I do this a lot, but it, it was particularly meaningful to me that night I immediately after leaving the theater I went on to Spotify and started playing the score it's incredible like it's so subtle but it's so emotional and it's a big part of creating that atmosphere right that you're talking about yeah yeah really good really good movie I loved it I absolutely I adored this movie even though it was really dark and and nuts like you know surprised me the most was the mom like you expect something and then she comes and has like her own journey that you empathize with and it's like she's not the bad guy no one in this movie is the bad guy everyone's just trying to get along <laughs> or kill themselves with food i yeah i mean I, it just really makes you think yeah like i could see this having a profound impact on me in a lot of ways just going forward in life just looking at life a little bit differently because of this film it is interesting because you know you having two daughters it's like it takes this whole another shade for you that, you know, obviously it doesn't have for someone without Daughters. children <laughs> yeah, yeah, of a certain age. So it's like, well, also like, I think what you were just talking about depression, like, and, and, and health, mm-hmm. like mental health, physical health, like in how everything is just in like intrinsically tied to, uh, the, the next thing. Yeah. Like, but also to be so aware of that. You know, like Charlie's a smart guy. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. I know. But he can't overcome that right. thing. Exactly. It is it is so sad. There, well, there's something about humans, right? Yeah. They're like it, it shows it shows the profound depth that exists in the soul mm-hmm. of a human being. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's what this movie does. And it, it does it in such a unique way. And I it just like I don't know. It's it's so impactful. It, like it resonates with me on 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 every level. On like all the things I am about. And I feel like it would resonate with everybody on at least some level. Yeah. You know, because it is But I don't think it's for everyone. Like I don't think everyone movie. could could watch it and well, say that they enjoyed the their experience. Yeah. <laughs> it is like we said pretty intense. Yeah. But even just visually seeing mm-hmm. the things that Brendan does in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like there's a whole sequence where he's literally consuming his whole kitchen. He eats two pizzas and then he like busts open the fridge and he makes a chip sandwich. He puts two slices of pizza on top of each other, which I've never done before. I, feel like I was I've like, oh, that. that's a smart. Yeah. Oh, well. We could just roll, just roll a pizza and <laughs> you've essentially done that. Smart. You know, like fold a pizza, like a Brooklyn slice. <laughs> yeah. No, but he took he takes two slices know, yeah. and puts them on top of each other, and then he starts putting chips on. He's a psycho. He makes a chip sandwich. No, he's not a psycho. To do that is a psychotic behavior. <laughs> is it? That's, I mean, a symptom of depression, I think, is psychosis. Or maybe it's the other way around. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but I am a podcaster, and this has been The Cult Pupkas. Yeah, we'll play something here from the score, so you can hear a little bit of the tone. I think all of Rob Simonson's uh, track titles are Moby Dick Illusions or uh, references. Oh, cool. Pretty cool. That score was really good. All right, here's a song. <laughs> 